0: So we have been, um, in this season, walking through the book of Luke, and in the past couple weeks we're really focusing in on the story and seeing how God is faithful. So um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 25 today, and we are going to see in this section how God is a faithful leader. So you can go ahead and flip there if you have your Bibles. But before we read it, I just want to remind us of the context of what's been going on uh, so far. So Jesus' ministry on earth is in full swing. He is out on the road, going to all these different towns. He's teaching people about uh, the kingdom of God. He's healing people and touching people's lives. Word about him is spreading, and people are getting really excited about what Jesus is about. So, crowds of people are starting to follow him around everywhere he goes. And the uh, s- uh, story that we see at the beginning of Luke 9 is there's a crowd of people around Jesus, 5,000 people, and he feeds all of them, with one little boy's lunch. And Johnny walked us through that story a couple weeks ago and reminded us that God is always faithful to provide. So then the next section that we see in chapter nine, Donnie taught us about this last week, um, focusing on a conversation between Jesus and Peter, where Jesus asks Peter, who do you think I am? What do you think is going on here? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah, The Christ of God. And right from that awesome faith-filled response from Peter, we get into our section that we're looking at now. So we're picking up in verse 21, and it says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The very words of God. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you are a good leader thank you god for bringing us here today for speaking this truth to your disciples that we can still be encouraged um, and still be eager to follow you even thousands of years later you are good god would you reveal yourself to us in new ways we want to leave this place loving you more than we do now would you show up for us today god we love you in jesus name amen Okay, y'all, this is a full passage, and there are some heavy words in here, but also the awesome reality that God is our faithful leader no matter what. So let's start at the beginning of our section. Remember, Peter has just confessed, Jesus, you are the Christ of God, the Messiah, the one who is sent to save the world. Last week, Donnie did an awesome job breaking down how throughout the Bible, God has been prophesying and promising that Jesus is coming. So if you don't, aren't familiar with that, of how the whole Bible is full of promises talking about Jesus, you should listen to that podcast from last week. It's really helpful. So over and over, God is saying to Israel, your king is coming. Your savior is coming. And you have to wonder, did every generation of Israelites just hope? Oh, I hope it's coming soon. Like, I believe it's happening in my lifetime. I just wonder if all the little kids in Israel hearing this story and hearing these promises God has given them would just hope against hope that someday they're going to see this king. They're going to see this Messiah. So All of Jewish history is crescendoing in this moment when Peter is saying, you're it, you're here. (laughs) And not only is he just alive at the same time as Jesus, he's in his inner circle. Like this has got to be a dream come true. Such a powerful moment for Peter. But then the way Jesus reacts has got to be not what he was expecting Jesus to say. Let's look at it again. He says that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus warned them not to tell this to anyone. And then he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Yikes. That is not the response I think Peter was hoping for. This conversation is recorded in three of the four Gospels, so it's also in Matthew and in Mark as well as Luke, and every time it's told, it's the first time that Jesus is revealing to his disciples what the Messiah was here to do. It's kind of the first time that he's letting them in on, I'm here, I'm the Son of God, but my role is to suffer and die. This has to come as a shock to Peter because things are going really well. I mean, the word about Jesus is spreading and thousands of people are getting excited and Jesus is doing amazing things. I'm thinking that Peter is expecting, you know what, soon here we're gonna head to Jerusalem and Jesus is gonna take over as the king and Israel is gonna be back on top. You know, after some really hard years in their nation's history, Peter's getting like amped for this. But Jesus, instead he just demolishes those expectations and said, no, 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 I'm here to suffer and die. I read a commentator that said, for an analogy, we can imagine what if there is a presidential candidate who's on the road, campaigning, giving speeches, and momentum for his party is building, and then at the end of his campaign, he makes this speech, and he's like, yeah, I'm headed to Washington, D.C., but I'm not going to get elected. I'm actually going to get arrested and given the death sentence. That would not happen. Like, can you see that guy's campaign manager being like, dude, Can't say stuff like that. (laughs) Our public image, you know? (laughs) And actually, that's how Peter responds to Jesus in Matthew and Mark's version of the story. But why? Like, after all of this, and this waiting and anticipation for the Messiah, why is he about to die? To understand the answer to this question, we have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. We're actually gonna put a picture up on the screen. This is just one artist's, imagination of what paradise was like at the very beginning i love to have a visual but almost every week in antioch kids we talk about genesis and we talk about what jesus did for us because it puts the whole bible into perspective it's the key it's it's the whole story of the whole bible and everything makes sense it's so important for our kids to get this so you may have heard this before but i would encourage you think back Become a five year old or a six year old again, and just imagine we're in the chapel together, and just like we're doing every week, we're talking about who God is. Because He is a wildly creative, generous, loving, and wise Father. He created everything you can see out of the overflow of His love for Jesus, and He is the good and rightful King, the perfect leader over the creation that he made. And as Adam and Eve, the first people, are trusting God and obeying him and treasuring him, they are released in the Garden of Eden into the best life imaginable, which is intimate friendship with their good father and and living this purposeful life of cultivating the earth that he gave to them. So what's the disconnect between that and now? God had given them one rule, one parameter to live by in this paradise. And he said, I gave you everything, enjoy all of this, but just this one tree out of thousands, this one tree, just don't eat this fruit. Just trust me on this. And so what do Adam and Eve do? Our enemy comes and convinces Adam and Eve that God is holding out on them and that actually they're missing out because this tree, the fruit of this tree is gonna make them wise, it's gonna be like God, and God is trying to hide something good from them. So Adam and Eve, they trust Satan instead of trusting God. And in that moment, they disobey and they eat that fruit and fellowship is broken. Because God is perfect, he's holy, and, and the sin, entered into the world, disobedience to God entered into the world in that moment and sin results in death and separation from God. And the only way to fellowship with a perfect holy God is to have never sinned. Think about your heart. Think about the people in your life. No one lives up to that standard. All of us have messed it up. All of us deserve death and separation from God. But God didn't create us for that. He created us for fellowship with him. He created us to enjoy him forever and he was not giving up on us. Even though we were the ones that messed it up, he takes it upon himself and he says, no, I'm gonna fix this. (laughs) And this is where Jesus comes into the story. God himself steps into this broken world and he is gathering his disciples. He's like, This is so exciting. Fellowship's about to be back and this is how I'm gonna get it for you. He says, I'm gonna offer you a gift where I'm gonna live the perfect life that you should have lived. God, Jesus never sinned in his whole life. He is the only one who deserves eternal life and fellowship with the Father. But he says, I'm gonna give you a gift and it's the opportunity to switch with me. I'm gonna take your sinful life and your punishment, which is death, and take that away from you and instead give you my perfect life and my reward that I earned, which is fellowship with the Father. And as Jesus walks into the cross and then ultimately raises to life again, fellowship is back. The plan God has been working on this whole time is finally unfolding. And even though the disciples are surprised, confused, like Jesus, you're kind of being doom and gloom on our big moment right here, it's not doom and gloom, it's their ultimate joy. <laughs> are you guys pumped? <laughs> Yeah. If you want to talk about God as our faithful leader, this is what he's been up to the whole time. The very day that Adam and Eve sinned, he says, I have a plan. And the whole Bible is him working this plan and getting us back to fellowship. And it culminated with Jesus. But he's still doing that today. He is still restoring people back into fellowship with him and forgiving their sins and welcoming us into eternal life. And we, as his people, are an extension of that purpose as we are making disciples. We are helping restore people into fellowship. It's what he's always been doing. That's the gospel. So, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> but we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. And even though this is the most wonderful invitation that could be made to us to be back in fellowship with God, our world isn't the way God planned it to be anymore. And it is gonna be difficult to follow Jesus in this life. So Jesus knows that, and he is going to help the disciples into this reality in the next section here. Okay, so Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So Jesus has just shattered the disciples' expectations of what the Messiah is here to do. He says, I'm gonna suffer and I'm gonna die. And then, just to drive the point home a little further, he says, if you want to join in with me you're gonna do the same thing. You're gonna suffer and you're gonna die as well. Which is not the campaign speech I would have given if I was trying to recruit volunteers. (laughs) But Jesus is a good leader and he knows, he's issuing this awesome invitation back into fellowship with, with himself to the disciples, but he knows it's gonna be hard. So he has given them a heads up. He's given them a warning, hey, if you wanna follow me, It's not always going to be easy, and I want you to go in with both eyes open. He gives them, essentially, these three steps to following him that we're going to look at today. The first step is to be with Jesus. You're going to deny yourself. So, to understand this calling, denying yourself, remember again what happened in the Garden of Eden. God was the leader. He was the king. And as humans trusted him, they flourished. But sin came into the garden when Adam and Eve decided, hey, I'd rather be my own king. I see something else out there that I think is probably best for me and I'd like to make my own decisions. So instead of trusting God, I'm gonna take control of my own life and make this decision because I think this fruit looks pretty good and I'd like to do that instead of what God told them to do. So they disobey him, and in that moment, humans have had such a hard time since then giving control of our lives back to God. We love to be in control, <laughs> but God created us to obey him and live in freedom of obedience. So denying yourself is saying, okay, I'm not. I'm gonna give up control of my life, and I'm gonna obey you, Jesus, no matter what. And if you are denying yourself, and walking in trust with God as your good leader, you can look at that fruit and even though it looks good, you can say, God, I believe that you have what's best for me. And I might think that this fruit is what's best for me, but if you say no, I trust you even if I don't understand. And I'm able to walk with him and he is my leader and I'm giving up control and submitting to him. And it is the key to our best life, even though it's hard. When I was in college getting ready to graduate and me and Nathan were getting ready to get married, we were um, looking at what we were gonna do next and my degree was in accounting, but I was really wanting, in my heart, I wanted to work with kids. In fact, after I graduated, my hope was to move to Tyler uh, and work out at Pine Cove camps in the summer, uh, ministering to kids. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) But God was drawing us to Dallas, and to be honest, I did not want to move to Dallas. I've changed my mind since then, but at the time. I did not want to do that, and it felt like denying myself to give up this dream of working full-time at camp and being with kids and instead move to this city I don't particularly like and get this job in accounting, and I was a bad accountant. It was i was not good at it and every day i was like thinking oh i just wish i could do something else i wish i could do what's in my heart to do i'm like looking up jobs anything that has to do with kids or being in ministry this is what i want to do but god confronted me one day in my discontentment and he said ellen wait he said stop looking for other jobs he said, and this was hard for me to hear, you will know it's time to leave PwC when I bring something else to you. So you stop looking and you can leave when I bring the opportunity to you. And that, that felt like denying myself again because I wanted this control, this ability to make my decision and leave when I wanted to leave. And who knows how long, gonna, how long God's gonna leave me here before he brings me something new. I did it, begrudgingly, logged out of Glassdoor, even though I didn't really think he would actually do this for me. But y'all can see the end of the story. (laughs) Um, uh, Just a few months after this conversation with God, I was at work, and Donnie calls me out of the blue um, and asks me if I'm interested in the job I have today, kids' ministry, and I just still remember that phone call, like, in the break room at PwC, like, yes, I'm interested. Thank you. <laughs> please, <Lord. laughs> But I was just floored in that moment at the faithfulness of God as my leader. He knew what he was doing, even when I feel like he's forgotten me over here, an auditor. <laughs> but... <laughs> Ah, do you remember me, God? No, seriously, that's what I was asking. And I just feel like, God, he gave me this calling and he gave me this desire in my heart and I can trust him with my giftings and with my desires even when I don't feel like they're being used. He had a plan. And all, all through that story, at any time I could have picked up control of my life and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm taking a new job. I'm figuring something out myself. And I would have missed what God had prepared for me here. I, I can't believe how good He is and how great this family has been for Nathan and I and the kids, the way we've gotten to love on them and grow with them, and the ways Jesus has just drawn us to ourselves here. I'm so glad that He is my leader. And He is always leading us into good things, whether we think so or not. Last Boy, thank you. Last point before we go on from this, Jesus also denied himself and entrusted his father. Look at what he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's about to die. Matthew 16, 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Cup referring to his death that's about to happen yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is such a good example. He is pouring out his heart to God, telling God what he wants, what he wishes would happen. But at the end of the day, he says, God, even though I might not want to do this, I trust you and I'm gonna obey you. And guys, aren't we glad he did? His willingness to deny himself and follow Jesus is the reason we are all here You're so good, Jesus. Thank you. Help us deny ourselves and obey you more. Okay, next step after you've denied yourself is to pick up your cross daily. So even though Jesus hasn't yet died, the crucifixion is a common practice in these days, and the disciples would have recognized this word picture because it was common if a criminal was going to be crucified, they would carry their own cross to their crucifixion. So it's a picture of finality. You know, no one's carrying their cross all that way and then survives. They're walking to their death. So this is a gruesome choice of Jesus to describe it this way, but what he's saying is, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be all in. There's no going back. And the way you're going is leading to death. He's warning them and us that when you're following him, we can expect suffering and pain and trials and persecution. And ultimately, we can expect physical death. Now remember, the garden and who God our Father is suffering and death are not in his plan. That was not his intention. Death entered this world because when God isn't the king, the world doesn't function right. Our earth is not behaving the way it was made to behave because death and sin are part of, are part of this world now. Plus, all the people in this world are sinful now. And on top of that, we as the children of God have an active enemy whose goal is to steal from, kill, and destroy us. It's sobering, but as the children of God, we have a target on our back. So Jesus, he knows all of this, and he's warning his disciples it's gonna be hard, but God is a faithful leader, and he is the Redeemer. So he is in the business of bringing beauty out of ashes. So even when we are walking in suffering and trial and persecution and pain, we can trust because he's a faithful leader. He is making all things new. And there are ways, over and over, examples in scriptures of the ways that God has brought something really good out of suffering and pain. We're going to look through just a few ways that he does that up on the screen. Trials lead to glory for God. So think of the story of Job, how when he was faithful to God, even when he didn't understand, God revealed himself in a new way to Job and to his friends. Or think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After they survived the fiery furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar actually comes and is so in awe of the miracle he just witnessed that he worships God and he commands his entire kingdom to do the same. So because three faithful men were willing to trust God and walk into almost certain death, a whole nation experienced salvation. God's name is always gonna be made great, even under sacrifice for us. Number two, trials lead to sanctification. So making us more into the image of Jesus. A good example of this from scripture is the Apostle Paul. He writes that he had a thorn in his flesh, something he was suffering from, and he was asking God to take it away, and he never got the breakthrough or the healing that he wanted. But because he knew God is a faithful leader, even though God's not answering the prayer the way I want him to, he writes, he learned through his suffering that God's grace is sufficient for him, and God is building in him these character qualities of trust and of patience and of humility, making Paul look more and more like Jesus, even as he suffers. Third way is trials lead to closeness with Jesus. Jesus. Acts 5 tells the story of the apostles being arrested and um, beaten and warned to stop preaching. And the Bible says they went on their way after that experience rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Can you imagine that intimacy with him, that you love him so much that that is your response to suffering? Another example, Stephen, while he is being killed, gets to see heaven. That even as he is suffering and dying, God gives him an open vision of himself. God shows up to comfort him, even in his pain. And, guys, this suffering, this death, Jesus endured all of it. He is a servant leader, which means he is not going to ask you to do anything he hasn't already done himself. That's the idea even of him being the leader and us being followers is he's already gone and we are getting to follow in his example and experience what he's experienced. Jesus isn't saying, yeah, it's really tough, good luck down there, see ya in heaven. He's with us and he's done it before and he'll be with us while we're experiencing, experiencing suffering now and he, the Bible makes this promise that we are gonna get a new revelation of Jesus, we're gonna get sweeter intimacy with him as we suffer. And experience what he experienced. Um, a final thing we're going to talk about is trials lead to life for other people. This is a big one. Our camp director's wife was this fiery woman and she would just get right up to you and say, don't let the devil waste your pain. Your pain is yours to decide what to do with. So when you are in suffering and you're in a situation you wish you weren't in, you have a choice. I can turn inward and focus on myself or just focus on getting through it. Or I can see this suffering as a potential gift for someone else. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us. This is the kicker, but life is at work in you. Following Jesus can lead to some real hardships. But if you purpose in this trial, in this suffering, that you are going to stay faithful, you're going to trust that God is leading you somewhere good, Um, and you're not going to waste your pain, but instead you're going to share your story with other people and let other people in on what God's doing with your life, the Bible says it's going to be life to your community. They're going to be encouraged and strengthened and able to walk with Jesus closer because of your story and because of your pain. (laughs) And look, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. That's exactly what Jesus did. His suffering and his death that he is walking to, the Bible says was for the joy set before him, which is us our eternal life and our fellowship with him. So man, when we are just enjoying this, wow, this life that we are getting because of Jesus, it is our joy when we are walking through suffering and we are walking through trials to turn around and give that life to someone else. And man, if this can be your perspective on trials, that God is a good leader and he's gonna be doing something good even though I'm not enjoying it, your questions when something bad happens to you, can turn from blaming questions, like why God, why is this happening, to opportunity questions, which is, God, what are you up to? How are you redeeming this situation? How are you revealing yourself to me? What character qualities are you working on in me? Or who is gonna get life out of this situation that feels to me like death? And your pain and your trials can be a part of something bigger than yourself. The purpose we all have, which is bringing people back into fellowship with Jesus. We're making disciples in our suffering. So, back to our three steps of discipleship. After you've denied yourself, you've been willing to pick up your cross, Jesus says, follow me. So for the disciples, that was very literal. Drop what you're doing and go with Jesus wherever he goes. For us today, this looks like practicing the way of Jesus together. So we're gonna treat him as our example and as our model. And man, what Jesus said, we're gonna say. And what Jesus did, we're gonna do. What he cares about, we're gonna care about. And he, we're gonna treat him as our example and try to live the way he lived. And again, that fellowship with him, trusting him, following him, we're living that garden life we're enjoying that fellowship with him and our purpose. We're living out our purpose fruitfully. After Jesus shows us how to follow him, verse 24 and 25 have a really important note. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Here we see, that in the way of Jesus, death is not the final word on our existence. The physical death that all of our bodies will experience leads to eternal life with Jesus for our souls. Jesus is warning them, don't lose your perspective. Don't get so caught up in what happens to me and are my needs met and are things going the way I want them to go on this life that you lose sight of eternity. Even when following Jesus leads to our physical death, he is still a good leader because our king faced death for us and conquered death for us. So even when our physical bodies die, we are gonna get to enjoy eternal life with him. Suffering on this earth is hard, but it's temporary. And we're confident in the fellowship with him we will enjoy forever after death he's still faithful even to the very end so here we've seen that Jesus endured suffering and death to bring us into fellowship with him and if we deny ourselves and submit to him pick up our cross and follow him even to uncertainty and even to suffering and death we will get to enjoy fellowship with him We will see his goodness, even in our pain, and we will ultimately spend eternity enjoying him. That's our hope. That's what we're living for. (laughs) But before we close, I just wanna address one challenge that you might have as you're working to live this out. When I was in college, I helped lead a Bible study for international students, and one year we had this group of girls who were visiting our college from Japan and they had never heard of Jesus before. They had no concept for Christianity. So it was a joy to get to share with them the story of Jesus for the first time. And one night we're sitting together and we're talking about salvation and eternity. And one of the girls, her name is Sunny, she starts to really put together the dots. And she's like, well, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, then I don't think any of my family members or ancestors who have died have gone to heaven because none of them knew jesus that's sobering reality so i was just sitting with her in that moment and she's thinking more about it and she says well if my ancestors aren't in heaven i don't think that i really want to go to heaven because i want to be with my family be with my ancestors And I just said, Sonny, I mean, if you go to heaven, Jesus is there and you'll get to spend forever with God. And this moment marked me. She just looked at me and she was like, well, why would I want to be with God? And I had nothing to say to her because in that moment I was putting together that if you don't know him, none of this makes any sense. Following Jesus, denying yourself, (laughs) taking your cross, following him, that is counter- intuitive to our sinful flesh and our culture and our world. And it's not worth it if you don't know who God is, like as a friend, you don't trust him, you don't love him and realize that he loves you, like delights in you like a father. If you don't have that trust, like deep, deep down in your heart, you really believe he really delights in you and he really wants what's best for you and you don't enjoy spending time with him, you're never gonna make it in this walk with Jesus. And why would you try? (sighs) And if you feel that way today, like in your heart, you're like, at the bottom of my heart, I don't think I really trust him. There is no condemnation on you. You are not alone in feeling that way. And I want to encourage you, trust. The definition of trust is to believe firmly in the reliability, ability, strength, and truth of someone. So trust is built in a relationship as you get to know someone. Remember, when we were kids, we were all taught, you know, stranger danger. Don't trust a stranger. Don't get in the van with that guy if you don't know him. (laughs) <laughs> because why would you trust someone with your life that you've never met before? You have no reason to believe that they are reliable, that they're truthful, that they're, that they're in it for your best interest. But think in your life of someone that you really, really trust. Maybe a parent or a grandparent or a spouse or a best friend. You probably feel that way about them because over years, in your life, they have shown you and told you that they love you. They have shown up for you. They have followed through on their words to you. They've helped you when you've needed help. They've made you feel cared for. And you, after repeatedly doing this over and over, you feel like, hey, I can believe that you're reliable and that you're truthful and that you're for me. You have earned my trust. And guys, God is the same way. He is trustworthy and good. And that reality is true whether you believe it or not. But that experience of knowing deep down in your heart God's trustworthy, it comes as you spend time with Him. And as you get to know Him, just like any relationship you're in. As you read in the Bible and you see over and over He's been faithful to the faithless Israelites and he's taking care of them or as you spend time talking to your friends who know him you see him better or even in a simple way you look at the Antioch DeHellis Instagram it's full of stories right now of people in our church who have experienced God to be faithful Or as you spend time with him yourself like a friend, you're going to experience he is good and he cares about you a lot and he wants to be involved in every part of your life. And man, I just wish I could go back in that moment and tell Sunny when you are in creation and you're in awe of its beauty, or when you're feeling the love of God poured out on you through the Holy Spirit, or you're reading about God's plan to bring you back from eternity, he's been pursuing you, and you can see that in the Bible, or when you are walking through something really difficult, but his power and his peace and his presence are with you, in those times, you are experiencing and enjoying why you'd wanna spend eternity with him. He is worth it. But don't take my word for it. Believe it for yourself. Doesn't that make you want to worship? <laughs> I want to worship Jesus. We just want to tell you we adore you. <laughs> and we always want more of you. We're going to have a communion up here for you guys if you want to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus in that way. And I really want to encourage You who are here, if you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, maybe you've never met him before today or maybe you have before, but you know, hey, deep in my heart, I don't really trust him. I don't really know him in that way. Please come to the front. After this, our prayer and prophetic team wants to pray with you. We believe Jesus is gonna change your mind today. He wants to meet with you in a new way. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving us in our sin, God. Thank you for seeing for some reason that it was worth it to you to pursue us to the very end. Jesus, thank you that you are our good leader. Thank you that you're trustworthy. And we ask that you would reveal yourself to us even today as more trustworthy, that we would walk out of this place trusting you more than we did before. You're always gonna be good. And the more we seek you, the more we're going to find you to be good. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In
1: Jesus' name. is for